Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you all are here. I would like to extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning. We come from a long line of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person, and some would say every creature. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our call to worship this morning is two quotations. The first by Edward Gorey, an American illustrator and poet. Vice is nice, but a little virtue won't hurt you. The second quotation is by Mark Twain. Always, always do what is right. It will gratify half of mankind and astound the other. What can be at the center of a faith that is a creedless faith? So it's not a creed that's at the center of Unitarian Universalism. We don't have one thing that we say we believe together every Sunday. Community is at the center how we want to behave with one another, practicing, becoming the people we want to be in community. That's one of the things that holds us together. And this congregation wrote it into our mission statement, which we wrote on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading this morning for Centering and Commitment is an excerpt from The Wide Window by Lemony Snicket, which explains about uh, the how to identify the moral of a story. In some stories, it's easy. The moral of the three bears, for instance, is never break into someone else's house. The moral of Snow White is... Never eat apples. (laughs) And the moral of World War I is never assassinate Archduke Ferdinand. Hmm. This is the time in our service when we become quiet, where we breathe deeply into that place where we are most who we are. It is a place where we can bring our real stories whose morals are often very difficult to articulate. Where we can bring our real lives, our real families, our real friends, our real worries, fears. We bring all of those to this place of stillness and we seek quiet. We seek wisdom enough to deal with the complexities. 
seek clarity that does not oversimplify. Let us enter the silence together. You are now invited to light candles of joy and sorrow, of hope and remembrance. We all knew it had to come to this. When you commit to a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, you're going to get to adultery sooner or later. One of those commandments that originally was based on something we don't believe anymore, at least not in our culture. And yet it still makes some sense, and so we have to try to figure out what part of it uh, makes sense and how to think about it and how to discard the part that we don't believe in anymore, which is that a woman is property. That's the part we don't believe in anymore. In the ancient cultures from which sprang this commandment, the woman belonged to her father and was his responsibility until she was married, and then her father delivered her to her husband. And if he uh, did not deliver her intact, there was a terrible punishment. These punishments are laid out in the book of Leviticus and other books, the first five books of the Jewish scriptures. And you, if you read them, you wouldn't believe it. You would not believe it. Because if she's not pure on the wedding night, and I will spare you the details about how they prove that, um, she was dragged back to her father's house and stoned to death. They actually still do this in some parts of Afghanistan and other places. She was stoned to death. Okay. What if she couldn't help it? What if she were ta- uh, taken by force? I'm going to speak obliquely because there may still be children in here. And you can explain as much as you want to about this. If she were taken by force, um, then there was one punishment if she was inside the city gates, where if she had screamed, someone could uh, hear her. If she was taken inside the city gates, then the punishment was that her uh, attacker had to marry her. Yeah. If she was outside the city gates, they both were stoned to death. It's not happy reading. Married men could use uh, professional women. That was not adultery. The purpose of marriage was for rearing children. That was it. And you wanted to have some descendants to watch after your death, and you wanted to make sure that your, your money went to people who were of your blood, of your own tribe. And so... Um, it was very important that you knew who the father was of every child your wife bore. So women were pretty much on lockdown from the time they were born um, until, well, they were pretty much on lockdown. So that everybody would know whose child that was. Um, by the time... Uh, we have histories 
we see that married men could have several wives. King David had several wives. His son, Solomon, had hundreds, not thousands, of wives. So that was not adultery. By the Christian scripture's time, uh, Rabbi Jesus said a couple things about adultery. He said, one, that if you even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, Those of you who are old enough to remember President Jimmy Carter, uh, remember that he famously confessed to have committed adultery in his heart. I think maybe he and Rosalind had a tenth supper after that. The other thing that Rabbi Jesus is said to have said, because every time that you quote the man, you have to realize that there are things he said, but we have no idea what they were. And then there are things that they say that he said, which is all that we have. And many people had many agendas as they were writing and editing the things that they say that he said. So the other thing that they say that he said was, anybody who divorces his wife except for unfaithfulness, makes her into an adulteress, and if you marry someone who is divorced, you are committing adultery. So that is why in some churches, the preachers won't marry you if you've been divorced. Now, I was a marriage counselor for about 15 years in South Carolina, and, or a couples counselor, I'll say, because we didn't have marriage for some couples back then. We will soon, won't we? Pretty soon. Um... There was a guy who, um, a woman who said she had been in an abusive relationship and she'd gone to her minister for counseling and the minister who said, the minister said, um, you need to leave that fella and end this marriage. And so she did. And then some years later, she fell in love with another fella, a good guy, and um, the preacher wouldn't marry her because she'd been divorced. Same guy, same preacher. She had feelings about it. Understandably. Then, so those were the two things that they say he said about it, and then there was the thing that they say he did about it. So the story that they tell about uh, Rabbi Jesus was, one of the stories, was that there was a woman who was brought to him who had been caught um, adulterating. That's, that's how they would call it on The Simpsons, I guess. And uh, the people said to Rabbi Jesus, trying to trap him into making a mistake, um, Teacher, we caught this woman in adultery, and Moses said that um, we should stone such women. What do you say? And you know, in the Middle East, you never answer a question directly, you always tell a story or ask another question. This is smart. But he didn't do either one of those. He just sat there drawing in the dirt, which quiets people down for some minutes because they're trying to see if you're writing the answer in the dirt or maybe you're drawing a picture to answer them because they can't believe you're ignoring them. But then when they found out he was ignoring them, they kept pestering him, and finally he said, If any of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. 
gradually the crowd petered away. And it was just Rabbi Jesus and the woman. Um, He straightened up from drawing in the ground and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, given those two things they say he said and that thing that say he did, was he soft on adultery? What, what's the deal? Mostly, I think, what he tried to do was get people to look at themselves and check their self-righteousness. Because, as we all know, self-righteousness is the root of all bad behavior. And if you start having that flush of righteousness, Just let a red flag go up because you're about to do something dumb. So we don't believe anymore in our culture, usually in most parts of the country, that the woman is property. We think there's something wrong with people who think that, at least. And so what does this commandment have to say to us? Well, we're in a culture that believes in romantic love, which is fairly recent in human history, the idea that you, should, that you should marry the person that you have love feelings for. And so we tell the story that you will have love feelings for just the right person and that this person is your person. And some people even teach that there's only one. So like if one of you lives in Tahiti and the other lives in uh, Guadalajara, you're just out of luck unless somehow fate brings you together. It's just crazy. Crazy. So that you have this one person and you fall in love, and that if it's real love, then it's going to last forever. So if your love relationship ends, you're tempted to say things like, I guess it wasn't really love. And people who have been married in pretty good marriages for pretty many years will say stupid things to each other like, I never loved you, which is, uh, and they'll say, I guess it was all a lie. It only lasted 27 years. I guess it was all a lie. (laughs) Instead of understanding that maybe there are some loves that have a beginning and a middle and an end, or there are some loves that last until you die, or there are some loves that last until there is a death, like, God forbid, of a child, and that is enough to break some couples. There are lots of things that break partnerships. But in this ideal of romantic love, you're supposed to find this person you love, love is supposed to last forever, and you're supposed to be faithful to your partner, And half of us are, according to studies, and half of us aren't. Most UUs expect faithfulness of themselves and their partners as well. But for some, there are other arrangements that can be made. Some people arrange to have uh, polyamorous commitments where they make commitments to more than one person uh, and they all live together um, as a You don't call it a couple, so a pod, a a group. There's there's some kind of organic name for it, I'm sure, that we'll figure out. And some people um, 
are, remain in a couple situation, but they call it an open marriage so that other people kind of come and go, but they say to each other, we will agree not to lie about it because it's the lying and the deceit that adulterates the trust between us. So that is adultery, but, but actually having relationships with these other people is not. And um, I personally don't feel I could do that, and I like the Yiddish proverb that says it's hard to ride two horses with one butt. says what it needs to say, doesn't it? (laughs) But what is most important is that both people agree about the situation. You can't have one person who's in an open marriage where the other person doesn't know that their partner's in an open marriage. That's, That's what's not okay. And it's not the commandment that keeps most religious liberals faithful to the arrangements that they make with their partner, it's the idea that if I break the covenant I've made with you, whatever it is, then I break the trust between us, and the trust is the foundation of our intimacy, which allows me to be vulnerable to you, which is where growth of the soul takes place. But some people don't want intimacy, and so they will do whatever it takes to avoid that. And if they're in a relationship with you, too bad, because you will want something they don't want. And having a partner who wants the same things you want is pretty important for a lasting relationship. But um, there are other things that can adulterate the chemistry, the trust, and the intimacy of a relationship that the vulnerability is not possible. One of the major things that adulterates relationships is work. So that all of the person's charm, energy, and goodwill goes into the job. And it's all flowing that way instead of toward their partner. This is okay sometimes because sometimes you have to work really hard and you come back to your relationship. But as a Practice, it's not sustainable over long years. So work is one of the things that takes your charm, your energy, your goodwill away. Addiction is another thing that can take your charm, your energy, and your goodwill. You spend it all on chasing your substance or on being high with your substance, whatever it is. And even if you're not with another person, You're with this substance, which kind of has a personality. I don't know um, how many of you have known a lot of people addicted to different stuff, but cocaine has a personality, alcohol has a personality, um, and whatever alcohol, for example, is pretty self-hating and accusatory, and usually um, that gets projected out into hatred and accusation um, like this, and... So a person who's married to someone addicted to alcohol is going to be dealing not just with their partner, but with their partner plus alcohol. So it's almost like there's three people in the relationship because of an addiction. Okay. Another thing that can take all of a person's charm and energy is the family of origin. Your, your kids, your mom, 
um, your dad. Now, there are stages in life when you have to pour all of your energy into your brother and his problems, or into your own children, or into your parents as they age. But um, if your whole marriage is dominated by the family of origin instead of the relationship, like, did you watch the Roosevelt's? You watch the Roosevelt's, you'll find Franklin and Eleanor, they get married, but Franklin's mother is always there. And Franklin's mother runs the household. And Franklin's mother buys the house and decorates it. And Franklin's mother tells Eleanor what a wife should be. And Franklin's mother uh, raises the children. And um, if she were in a healthy community of people, other than in a kind of an isolated community, bastion of fabulous wealth, Eleanor would have had a community around to say to uh, Franklin's mother, hey, back off. But there was no one. So there was no backing off. And it damaged the whole relationship. And there were plenty of other things that did too. So, For some people, um, pornography is the adultery. So you spend so much time being sexual solo with the porn, that you spend all of your sexual energy that way and it doesn't go to your partner. You don't engage, but it's a good way to avoid intimacy if you want to. Then there's emotional abandonment. You can just spend all of your love and your care on your on your friends rather than on your partner. Or there's sexual abandonment where a person just decides they're not going to do this anymore and it's not okay with one or the other I can't tell you how many couples would come in and one of the people had decided, um, well, there was this lovely man who was obviously gay. Bless his heart. He would not come out. And um, he, even in private, even to me, his therapist, and he would say, he ran an antique store, and he would say, you know, we come home from a lovely party and then she just wants to have all this awful sex disgusting. I'd be like, dude, you're gay. I, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be disgusting if you were with the right person, but no, yeah. you're always barking up the wrong tree and the tree is unhappy and she's going to start walking out on you. The mixed metaphors. <laughs> the ancient rabbis had rules about how many times you had to have sex with your partner. They had rules. If you have a marriage covenant And you're a rabbi, for example. You stay at home most of the time. Once a week is minimum. If you're a traveling salesperson and you're off in the camel caravans on the Silk Road or whatever, you have to come back home once every six months. That's minimum. And anything else will break the covenant. So whatever covenant you have with your partners, if you have partners, make it authentic. Make it with integrity, and then try to keep it. And if you can't keep it, then try to renegotiate it with integrity and authenticity. And try to love them enough to have an authentic relationship with them and make some kind of arrangement that works for both of you. And if you're with a, in a, with a person where you'd rather be alone than with that person, then it's probably better not to be in that relationship. And finally... If you are in a relationship that you wouldn't want your children to be in when they are grown, don't stay together for them because they're watching you and they'll do the same thing you're doing. 
So if you were unhappy enough so that you wouldn't want your grown child to be this unhappy, then model what you would want them to do. And do something with integrity, love, and authenticity that they can watch you do and learn how to do it. The UU stance toward sex is that it is healthy and healing and sacred and to be celebrated and that it has a destructive side that is equally powerful and that we should work as hard as we can to stay on the healthy, healing, and sacred part of it. I could talk about this for another hour, but we're out of time. So I will look forward to hearing what you all have to say if you care to send me an email about it. (laughs) Oh, and if you're going to have an affair, listen to at least an hour of country music before you do. (laughs) Which is something I used to tell my clients. Because they would say, he said he was going to leave my wa- his wife for me. And I'd be like, dude, here's the number on the dial. Just listen for a while. You'll find out what's going to happen. <laughs> and now please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. I know this rose will open. I know my fear will burn away. I know my soul will unfurl its wings. I know this rose will open. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.